when once he had made up his mind, was not easily drawn aside from his purpose. I yet thought, seeing it was such a gigantic scheme, that he had not quite considered in his own mind the pros and cons of the case. I said, I have heard that should your father die, you would sell the Herald and retire from business. Whoever told you that is wrong, for there is not money enough in New York City to buy the New York Herald. My father made it a great paper, but I mean to make it greater. I mean that it shall be a newspaper in the true sense of the word. I mean that it shall publish whatever news will be interesting to the world, at no matter what cost. After that, said I, I have nothing more to say. Do you mean me to go straight on to Africa to search for Dr. Livingstone? No. I wish you to go to the inauguration of the Suez Canal first, and then proceed up the Nile. I hear Baker is about starting for Upper Egypt. Find out what you can about his expedition, and as you go up, describe as well as possible whatever is interesting for tourists. And then write up a guide, a practical one, for Lower Egypt. Tell us about whatever is worth seeing and how to see it. Then you might as well go to Jerusalem. I hear Captain Warren is making some interesting discoveries there. Then visit Constantinople, and find out about that trouble between the Khedive and the Sultan. Then, uh, let me see, you might as well visit the Crimea and those old battlegrounds. Then go across the Caucasus to the Caspian Sea. I hear there's a Russian expedition bound for Kiva. From thence you may get through Persia to India. You could write an interesting letter from Persopolis. Baghdad will be close on your way to India. Suppose you go there, write up something about the Euphrates Valley Railway. Then, when you've come to India, you can go up to Livingston. Probably you will hear by that time that Livingston is on his way to Zanzibar. But if not, go into the interior and find him. If alive, get what news of his discoveries you can. And if you find he's dead, bring all possible proofs of his being dead. That is all. Good night, and God be with you. Good night, sir, I said. What it is in the power of human nature to do, I will do. And on such an errand as I go upon... God will be with me. I lodged with young Edward King, who is making such a name in New England. He was just the man who would have delighted to tell the journal he was engaged upon what young Mr. Bennett was doing, and what errand I was bound upon. I should have liked to exchange opinions with him upon the probable results of my journey, but I dared not do so. Though oppressed with the great task before me, I had to appear as if only going to be present at the Suez Canal. Young King followed me to the express train bound for Marseille, and at the station we parted, he to go and read the newspapers at Bowles's reading-room, I to Central Africa, and who knows. There is no need to recapitulate what I did before going to Central Africa. I went up the Nile and saw Mr. Higginbottom, chief engineer in Baker's expedition, at Feely, and was the means of preventing a duel between him and a mad young Frenchman, who wanted to fight Mr. Higginbottom with pistols, because that gentleman resented the idea of being taken for an Egyptian, though wearing a fez cap. I had a talk with Captain Warren at Jerusalem, and descended one of the pits with a sergeant of engineers to see the marks of the Tyrian workmen on the foundation stones of the Temple of Solomon. I visited the mosques of Stamboul with the minister-resident of the United States and the American consul-general. I travelled over the Crimean battlegrounds with Kinglake's glorious books for reference in my hand. I dined with the widow of General Liprandi at Odessa. I saw the Arabian traveller Palgrave at Trebizond 
and Baron Nikolai, the civil governor of the Caucasus, at Tiflis. I lived with the Russian ambassador while at Tehran, and wherever I went through Persia, I received the most hospitable welcome from the gentlemen of the Indo-European Telegraph Company, and following the examples of many illustrious men, I wrote my name upon one of the Persepolitan monuments. In the month of August 1870, I arrived in India. On the 12th of October, I sailed on the bark Polly from Bombay to Mauritius. As the Polly was a slow sailor, the passage lasted 37 days. On board this bark was a William Lawrence Farker, hailing from Leith, Scotland, in the capacity of first mate. He was an excellent navigator, and thinking he might be useful to me, I employed him, his pay to begin from the date we should leave Zanzibar for Bagamoyo. As there was no opportunity of getting to Zanzibar direct, I took ship to Seychelles. Three or four days after arriving,